This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to sort of the Cooler Jets podcast where it was Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, we have returned. A month-long absence for us, a much-needed absence after the letdown that was 2023, but I feel rejuvenated right now. Talking about the offseason, we've been going over some free agents, and this podcast, we're going to preview free agency about two weeks until free agency is underway. So now's about the time with, with the scouting combine this week um, that football talk and the offseason really ramps up. So I'm excited to finally be talking about what we do best here in these parts, and that's the offseason. I mean, this in-season podcast and the Jets as a team, that's for losers. But the offseason stuff is really where we thrive. And, Michael, there's no better place to jump off, and I know this is old news, but it's it's integral to this part of the show than the big announcement that happened on the Super Bowl. I promise we won't spend too much time on this at the beginning of the podcast, at least, but the announcement of new uniforms, which, if, if I'm being honest, Michael, that's what really started to get me back in because I was pretty discouraged in January about talking about the Jets. But once they once they confirmed the, the new uniforms, you and I had both heard heard some rumblings. I mean, everybody had, but it's about the only thing we've ever had any sort of source on was that the Jets are going to go legacy uniforms full-time. Had a few DMs, and so that was exciting to finally see it announced. Um, so how did you take that announcement, and how have you spent you, your month-long break? I mean, I know you've still been writing about free agents, but month-long break from, from the pod. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that in terms of the way that this Jet season sort of affected my interest going into the off season and and look i have to stick with it and write articles pretty much every single day so i've been keeping up with it as much as i can but in terms of you know just throughout the day having the jets constantly on my mind it just hasn't been the same as most off seasons and and we've been through a lot of bad years i mean we don't have to explain the playoff drought to anybody All listening to this. It's been half of half of our lifetimes at this point, approximately. So it's been a long time. But even despite that, it feels like there's always been something to look forward to after the season's over. But this one, for the first time, felt like, man, I just don't really want to, you know, not obsess about the Jets, but just, you know, be as interested on a daily basis as usual. But, you know, took a little step back. You know, outside of my usual article writing, and you get the uniform announcement. Woody knows how to pull us back in at the right time. He's like, he's like, don't look at the Super Bowl. Don't look at the, you know, the guy we traded scoring the game-winning touchdown. Which, you know, I I've said this though. Like, I don't care that he scored it. It was a wide-open pass in the flat that you or I could have caught, and he didn't do anything for the Chiefs prior to that touchdown. So it's not like I'm going to knock the Jets for trading McCole Hardman. But um, regardless, don't look at that. Look at our new uniforms. And now he roped us <laughs> right back in. I got them behind me. 
if you're looking on YouTube. We're getting them full time, the legacy uniforms. I love the move. And I, I think I liked the, you know, Gase, Sala era uniforms more than most people. I think they, you know, lying to had a stain the on time. them because of the lack of success. But it, it did feel like a lot of, you know, mental gymnastics, trying to convince yourself that these uniforms <laughs> look good. But these ones, we saw it against Buffalo in person. We all saw it on TV against Kansas City and, and Buffalo. Um, there's no, you know, work that you need to do in your mind to convince yourself. This is a clean uniform that looks good. So I'm looking forward to seeing the green version of it and to, to see what they do with the black alternates. But uh, I know this is what everyone's been looking forward to. We come back after <laughs> a month plus, whatever it's been, just dive right into the uniforms. 20 minute tirade we'll, we'll we'll save we'll save the 20 minute tirade i guess for the end of the podcast let's just start with the uh catching I mean, if you're up. a baseball fan that's all the discussion right now <laughs> on social media yeah please for the love of god uniforms. nfl don't get fanatics travesty that is yeah i know we don't need any see-through pants yeah. on this team last time we were on the show uh we were talking about are they going to make any changes to the staff and while it wasn't hackett it wasn't keith carter the offensive line coach it wasn't even todd downing the passing game coach there's been a mass exodus of Jets coaches. And I'll read them off to you in a second, Michael, but what's your, what's your first reaction to that? Because there's part of me that's like, you know, were these guys fired or were they trying to, to jump ship considering that th- there's a lot of uncertainty in whether this coaching staff is going to be back in 2024. I like that there's going to be new ideas in the building, but there's a part of me that's like, is this a red flag? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is kind of what I expected going into the off season. I figured we'd get, okay, we're not going to obviously not fire Sala or Douglas or Hackett. We're going to, Sort of, and not that they're necessarily firing all these guys because they didn't come, you know, straight into the offseason and clean house besides a couple. Um, but I did figure they were going to try to make a lot of changes with the assistants and point to that as the accountability for the season, which I don't agree with. And I was pretty vocal. I thought they should have made much more aggressive changes after the season. But um, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see. Uh, how this all pans out, how they fill out some of these spots, especially especially since it's later in the offseason at this point. Uh, not, not that it's that late, but, you know, we are in late February. It's free agency in a couple weeks. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they fill it out. But I thought um, Calabrese going to the Rams, well, that caught my attention because, you know, LaFleur went there as the offensive coordinator last year and didn't have the greatest tenure with the Jets, but Sean McVay, who's one of the most respected and successful coaches in the league over the past decade or so, especially on the offensive side, quickly calls him up and brings him in. And the Rams have a really good bounce back season um, with LaFleur as our offensive yeah, coordinator. Sure it LaFleur. It's not to say that LaFleur was the reason Matt that Stafford happened or had anything. nothing to do with that. Obviously, they had a healthy Matt Stafford, Puka Nakua breaking out. But, you know, nonetheless, like uh, a good head coach brings him right in into a lateral move in the same position. And they have a successful season. Now Calvary's going over there. And, and with LaFleur, there was that, um, you know, part of the conversation with him was, is he getting, you know, made to look worse than he is by Zach Wilson, by some of the circumstances on the offense? And I definitely, I wasn't the biggest LaFleur defender in the world, but there's definitely on the film last year in 2022, a lot of, okay, these plays aren't working just because, Zach Wilson's terrible versus Hackett this year. It was, you know, Zach Wilson's still not good, but 
I think this this year a lot more so than 22 with Hackett. It was just like your concepts don't work. You're not getting people open. So I'm curious to see how that not that you can evaluate Calabrese as a quarterback coach with Matt Stafford or, or whatever position he took over there. I'm not. Do you yeah, have that offensive um, assistant? Do you have that's, that's what he's listed on his on offensive. So not that we can evaluate well, him as an offensive assistant, but also, I thought that was interesting. It is interesting, but can we just remind everybody of, of Calabrese's resume, which I have pulled up in front of me? Running backs coach at Wagner, then the OC and quarterbacks coach at Wagner. Then he's the offensive quality control coach in Denver, and then he's a QB coach in, in New York. So that resume right. speaks for itself. Sparkling yeah, resume. it's like, I mean, clearly LaFleur believes in him, and we're not in the building, so maybe he is some sort of wonder kid, but I'm glad that they made some changes. It's not just him. I mean, the first one that was that was announced was Rex Hogan. The assistant GM is out, uh, and there was a lot of – of. Uh, he clearly had some friends in the media because there's obviously the the big athletic story, whatever. Who knows if he was really a source for that? But anytime that there's a guy that's that's fired, and then a bunch yeah, of defenders come out, trying to tell you that he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't have any connections or. Anything. Well, I was saying that to Peter Schrager. We were tweeting back and forth, and I was just like, "Why are we acting like this guy's track record?" He said his track record speaks for itself, or something like that. I was like, "Yeah, look at it. It's all negative. I mean, like, there's nothing that Rex Hogan has been a part of here that has been." anything good outside of maybe the 2022 class, how much credit does he deserve for that? So I'm glad that at least JD made some changes and perhaps there's other ones that we don't know about because like you said, it hasn't really been, it's been like a slow trickle of announcements that Zach Azani lateral move to Pittsburgh. He was the receivers coach here. He'll be the receiver coach there. Another lateral move for Taylor Ombre, who was the running backs coach who again was getting like, did a lot of good work with Brees Hall. It's like, yeah, what about Michael Carter who fell off? And I think Brees Hall was about as good as it could get when you're drafting a rookie Mac Brown uh, was uh, assistant tight ends coach. He goes to be the Seattle tight ends coach. Calabrese, like you mentioned, then uh, chief of staff, Steve Skarnecchia, assistant special teams coach, Michael Gobriel, and then Ricky Manning Jr., who is a defensive guy who I actually think probably did a good job at the corners. He goes to, to Vegas. So that, at the very least so far, is the coaching changes. I'm sure we'll hear more when, when J.D. speaks, and then eventually when we get a solid press conference, what the replacements look like. But at the very least, I'm glad there's some changes you know, you'd like to see more, but clearly Solid believes in, in continuity and trying to keep the offensive together, the offensive coaching staff together. I don't know why, but, you know, maybe it'll help the offensive line to have some stability there. You know, this offense was going to look completely different with Rodgers at, at quarterback, knowing that all the checks that he was going to make at, at, at the line of scrimmage. And that's really what the Jets are banking on. I mean, we've known that since, what, October, when they didn't make really any moves that the Jets are, are hinging all their future and they're pushing all their chips in the middle on, on Rodgers, fixing everything. And that was written in Sharpie when they didn't when they didn't make any offensive changes. So it's really going to be all on Rodgers and and we'll see if how, how many new ideas uh, that they bring into the fold here. But this is Rodgers offense and we'll, hopefully we get a chance to see what it actually looks like. Um, so that was the big story, I guess, so far has just been some of the, the coaching changes. And obviously we'll have more on that when, when some of the uh, replacements have been announced. But Michael, that takes us to free agency, which starts in a couple weeks. And you've been doing all these articles talking about ways the Jets can rebuild this offensive line because you can't make any mistake. It's clearly the number one most important need. I know a lot of fans are talking about receiver, and that's probably number two on the list. But you have a 41-year-old quarterback coming off of an Achilles injury. This offensive line needs to be a lot better than it was last year. You have a stud in Joe Tipman. You have a stud in Elijah Vera Tucker, but he's coming off back-to-back season-ending injuries. You don't know what that Achilles injury will be like for him, let alone if he'll be ready for week one. I mean, it's he should be, right? You'd think so. He got injured, what, week five against Denver? Um, but 
we don't know how that's going to affect him, his, his strength, at what point he'll return, how much the Jets can rely on him to stay healthy. Um, but the Jets, at the very least, do have a stud in Joe Tipman. And outside of that, there's a lot of work for them to do. So I guess, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly what cap space the Jets will have because there are going to be a lot of restructures over the next few weeks. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Quinn and get restructured and that, turning his his base salary into bonus, which can add about $10 million. Same Mosley, they can add some void years, which can create about $10 million. And then they have guys like Reed, JFM, Conklin, Quincy, if they want to restructure Lazard. So the Jets can, can make some money here. Obviously, the big news was was the bump in, in salary cap space, which does apply to every team. So it's it kind of washes out, but it does give the Jets a little bit more wiggle room here uh, and free agency. So currently, on it's the number is different depending on what you look like, what site you look at. But we're going to go with Spot Track, which has the Jets currently at twenty and a half million dollars. Michael, let's just start with some cuts, and the obvious one is CJ Uzama. Public enemy, maybe number two for you behind Dalvin Cook. Maybe Lazard might be up there too. But Uzama, you've not been a fan of his for a while now. The Jets can cut him and free about $5 million in cap space. The next guy, and this will be interesting. I'm fascinated to see what they do with Lake and Tomlinson because to us it seems so obvious that they should cut him. But we mentioned this on one of the, the previous podcasts. So in years past, there's been some obvious guys that we said the Jets are definitely going to cut, like when we do this podcast every year. And then they're still on the team in August. And Lakin could be one of those guys, especially when you have the uncertainty about Elijah Vera Tucker if they, and the giant contract that Lakin has and the fact that you'd be eating a lot of dead money. But if he was cut before June 1st, which is presumably when they would do it, he'd free up about $8 million. So for all intents and purposes, are you on board with cutting Lakin and, and Uzama? Is there any chance that, that Lakin returns with the uncertainty about AVT and the, the amount of, of holes they're going to have to fill? Is there any is there any hope for a Lakin Tomlinson resurgence? Maybe if Aaron Rodgers is... is is back at QB. Maybe he's, he puts down the donuts and he's focuses more on, on, on his training regimen. I don't know what has happened to Lakin, but he's clearly fallen off. The last two years have been brutal. And with that $8 million, I have a lot of confidence that they can find somebody that would, that, that would perform at a higher level than what you've gotten out of Lakin Tomlinson this year. So let's just start there. What do you think about the initial cuts of, of Uzama and Lakin? Yeah. I mean, I'm a thousand percent on board with both of those, but like you said, I don't, think we can necessarily say that the Jets are going to be in agreement with us on that because, I mean, there were a lot of cuts last year that I thought were obvious they didn't make. Um, Carl Lawson was a guy who I thought it was a no-brainer because they could have cleared pretty much his whole contract of about, I think it was 15, it was his cap hit last year, but they restructured him, they brought him back, and he got hurt in the in, in training camp. He was never healthy when he played. And he ended up doing nothing. And he's on the books for this year. Now they're stuck with, yeah, and he's on the books for this year as well. So we were right about that one. They should have cut him. And I thought they should have cut Whitehead as well. And he comes back and he <laughs> gives up the most touchdowns among safeties. <laughs> okay. So like there were personal there were vendetta cuts last year that I thought were obvious, but um, this one's obvious as well. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it because you know they Joe Douglas signed him to that contract. Robert Sala knew him from San Francisco. They have a personal connection to this, to, to these players and specifically Tomlinson. So um, I could very well see them bringing him back just because of what they've done in pre- previous years where they brought back players who it seemed like it was obvious to cut them and then they didn't. But hopefully they could see it's pretty clear he needs to go. I mean, he was abysmal this past season. He, was, I, he gave it the most pressures among guards in the league. So I don't know how much worse than that it gets, but 
we'll see if they can make the obvious decision here. Yeah, especially, and we'll get to it in a minute, with the the interior offensive line market and free agency is stronger than it is at tackle. So there's an obvious spot there for the Jets to upgrade their offensive line uh, on the interior and free agency. And it's like, if you have Tittman, if you're keeping AVT at guard, you have a hole right there, you cut Lake and take that $8 million, throw it towards uh, one of these guys in the open market, and you can pretty safely guarantee an upgrade of the offensive line. Although then, you know, Lakin's going to go somewhere else to go to Houston or some Seattle, some random team and go back to Pro Bowl form. But for now, I agree with you. I think they should cut him. That would take the Jets. If you, if you add Uzama and Lakin and we're using the spot track number of 20 and a half, I think over, over the cap as a 12 and a half, but we, we'd like to have more money here. So we'll go with, we'll go with spot track. That takes them to about 34 million. Um, and then as, as I said, it's an inexact science, but between Mosley, Quinn, and Reed, all those contracts that they can restructure, add void years, turn turn base salaries into bonuses. Let's just say, Michael, it might be more than this, it might be less than this. Let's say they can create, what do you think, $20, 25000000 million in, in restructured salary? I mean, yeah, $20. $20 million? You want, 20 seems realistic. Right, you want to go, go with that. Go 20. Yeah. So that would take them to $52 million. Um, and then let's get to some resignings. So $52 million in, in cap space, and there is some guys to resign. And I think none more important. I mean, maybe there's some you could argue more important, but I'll say Morstead and Zerline should be signed before free agency starts. Um, we'll fly through some of these. And, and again, it's an inexact science. Who knows exactly what the numbers will be? Zerline might get uh, more than this, but we'll say what? Zerline, $3 million, Morstead, $1.5 million. Does that seem, does that seem fair for those guys? That makes sense, yeah. Um, who are yeah. some of the other guys you want to see resigned? I know you're you're pretty against bringing back Becton, and then Becton, Becton's Instagram comments and tweets about Keith Carter would probably back that up, that he probably won't be back in New York. Um, but maybe he has some fans that believe that he's he's played a full season. Maybe he can get back to, to the form that he was as a rookie on a cheap contract. He certainly shouldn't be pegged in to start. But is there any room for bringing back Becton? And if not, who are some of the other guys that, that you'd like to see the Jets resign? I mean, the main guys I'm interested in re-signing are on the on the defensive side. I think Quentin Jefferson, I definitely would like to see back. He had a really good year as a pass rusher, and you and you got to consider right now at, at defensive tackle, it's it's Quentin Williams, and that's it. So um, they do have to make some moves there, whether it's re-signing Jefferson or uh, and Thomas. I think you can bring both of them back, but even if they get both of th- those two guys back, there's still another spot to fill there. So uh, there will be some defensive tackle moves, but I'd put Jefferson and Thomas in there. I think Chuck Clark is an underrated one to bring back. I was looking forward to seeing him in this defense. I think he, I think he, he thrives at a lot of the things that Whitehead ended up struggling with, which is, you know, I don't think Clark is a highlight guy in any way, but um, he's always been low in terms of allowing touchdowns, big catches, missed tackles, things like that. So he's a very sound player. I think he can come back and compete for a starting spot. Um, Ashton Davis earned his way back as a, a weapon in his role. Maybe not a starting safety, but at the very least, he did well in that sub-package role they had for him. And um, I guess you can bring back Kenny Yaboa <laughs> as well to compete for that yeah. third tight end spot. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I like. I, I would say those are the I like Quentin Jefferson. I think that's a really underrated guy that the Jets need to bring back. Uh, him and Solomon Thomas, who you've talked about, has had had a much better season last year. Let's say Jefferson again. Yeah. It's it's like the, we, the the JetX simulator is up for anybody who's a JetX member. You can feel free to go through and, and simulate the offseason. Some of the the criticisms can be, well, oh, this guy is going to get paid more than this, or this guy would be less than this. It'll be the same thing in this podcast. Let's just say, for all intents and purposes, what do you think? Jefferson four million, Solomon Thomas three million. 
Maybe Jefferson gets more than that, but we'll just we'll just chalk it in as that. I like the idea of bringing back both Chuck Clark and Ashton Davis. You know, Clark coming off the tour in ACL, but he did it in June, so he has enough time to recover. And like you said, I, I was high on the player. I thought that was one of the best moves that the Jets made last offseason, and then they, they never got to see it come to fruition. So I think that they could roll into the season with, obviously, Tony Adams at, at one spot, free, free safety, and then you have Chuck Clark and Ashton Davis competing at strong safety. Um, and then, you know, who knows what else they'll do. Maybe they'll have another undrafted free agent safety. They seem to have had some good luck there in the back end, maybe a day three pick as well. But I like the, the re-signings you made. And I think your is another underrated guy because, you know, you're going to cut Uzama. The Jets clearly wanted to play a lot of 12 personnel, a lot of 13 personnel. And tight end three is another one of those needs that it's like, okay, they have Zach Kuntz. If they bring back Yeboa, they have some guys there, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets do add another tight end in free agency. And maybe we'll go through some of those guys, but that's obviously very low on the Jets laundry list of needs. The, the big resigning that everybody's talking about, and it seems like the Jets have probably fumbled the situation, it doesn't seem like he's going to come back as Bryce Huff. Is there any way you see Bryce Huff returning? Obviously, the Jets drafting edge rushers back-to-back years. Bryce Huff, career year, going to command 16 to $18 million in free agency. The Jets having to overhaul their entire offensive line and bring in some receivers. Is there any chance that Bryce Huff is a New York Jet in, in 2024, or is, is that ship sailed and did the Jets fumble that, that away? I think it's unlikely just based on what they've shown us in terms of their interest in re-signing him both in the season after he started, you know, playing well to increase snap count. And then after the season, it's been crickets really for the most part. So it just doesn't seem like they're interested. And, and look, like they drafted Will McDonald. If he pans out the way they want him to, he can replace Huff's production and you know you could it's smooth sailing from there that's good roster management if you can pull that off but it's still tough when you have a guy like Bryce Huff who has developed in your system and become a premier pass rusher and you know you're just going to let him walk for for nothing it looks like at this point um he's not going to get tagged so we're not going to see the tag and trade um so and in terms of getting a compensatory pick uh, you're not going to get the compensatory pick because you're going to be signing people this off season that are going to cancel him out in the, in the system. So they're going to end up losing Bryce Huff for nothing. It looks like um, probably. So yeah, just not the best management of the situation. And, and like you said, before we started recording it, you know, maybe time's I had to say now, but it would have been great if they just drafted a receiver, that pick in the first round last year, you would have that in place. You could keep Bryce Huff. Wouldn't have to get a receiver, or, you know. Assuming that guy, assuming out, it wasn't Quentin Johnson, they probably wouldn't have had to. Um, you know, we all wanted Jackson Smith and the Jigba there, who had a, a promising rookie season. wasn't a superstar off the bat, but you know, he looked really good. I think towards the end, you know, you could have had that solved. Focus on the offensive line. Don't have to get a receiver. Keep Bryce Huff. All would have been great, but they go with Will McDonald, probably their best player available. And uh, we'll see how it pans out. But it does create a, a sticky situation right now. The only way I see Bryce Huff returning is if they trade John Franklin Myers. That's the only way I see it happening. Is if And what do you think JFM could fetch in the open market? I mean, if, if it's a post-June 1st trade, which I, I doubt it would be, they would free about $13 million. Assuming it'd be pre-June 1st, they'd only free about seven and eat $9 million in dead cap. So it doesn't really make the most sense, but you could take that $7 million, throw it towards Bryce Huff. It just depends how you value it. I mean, JFM is 28 you could probably get, I mean, he's, he's a damn good player. There, you know, there are plenty of teams that would love to have him on their roster. I mean, maybe you could get a third for JFM. 
but that's the only route I see to, to Bryce Huff returning. But like you said, I, I just don't see it happening. I think the moment they took Will McDonald, they decided that Bryce Huff wasn't going to come back, especially at the number that, that he ultimately is going to command. Um, you know, a lot of this hinges on on the development of, of Will McDonald. If he turns into that blue chip pass rusher, I mean, you don't really have to, you know, it sucks to see good players leave. But if, if Will McDonald's great, has that that JJ-like year two leap, I don't think anybody's really that upset about it. But if, if Will McDonald isn't maybe the player that, that they're hoping that he's going to be, um, this will be a move that is definitely questioned. And people will look back at that that draft decision and it's the it's the decision, and we say it every year, and we're going to say it this offseason, that the Jets are not going to go. Well, actually, maybe this, this year they, they might. Every year we say they're not going to go into the draft with a shopping list. They're going to take the best players available. They also look at the long-term needs. They saw that Bryce Huff contract coming up. They know how much they value pass rushers. They were thinking of 2023 as a win-now year. They didn't want to have any chance that they would lose pass rushers and not be able to win with four. And they had Will McDonald highly rated, so they took him. Um. But like you said, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. If they'd taken a Zay Flowers or a Jackson Smith and Jigba or a Jordan Addison, and would they be in a better spot to, to re-sign Bryce Huff? Yes, but that's just that's just not how things worked out. So barring a JFM trade, I just don't see Bryce Huff returning, which really sucks to see good players walk out the door, especially pass rushers, because we know not only how much the Jets value it under Robert Sala, but just that they haven't had a guy like Bryce Huff really since I've been watching. I mean, for years I would hear the or hear Jets fans talk about the days of John Abraham and trying to, to replicate that. I mean, not, even under Rex, they didn't have a guy like Bryce Huff who, who could win his one-on-ones as consistently and be a double-digit sack guy year in and year out. And I think Bryce Huff is going to go elsewhere, get that that big contract, play you know rundowns as well, and you're going to see that he's more of a well-rounded player than, than I think we, we all thought. We saw him against the run a little bit more this year, and, and he uh, seemed to have improved in that spot. So we'll say they're not able to re-sign Bryce Huff and that would leave the Jets with after some of those re-signings. I mean, again, where this is an exact science, but I would say, let's say the Jets have about 35 million to play with in free agency. Uh, the last thing before we get to free agents, the trades. I mean, the, the big one, if you want to call it that, is Zach Wilson, who, you know, I've defended on this podcast uh, plenty of times, but it's clear that that his days in New York are over for, for a number of reasons. Um, you know, first and foremost, maybe maybe not foremost, but it's the last year of his deal. There's no way that he's going to be a Jet in 2025. The Jets might as well trade him. There's no chance if you're his age and that you're telling him to resign in New York, especially if Rodgers wants to play two or three more years, like he's saying. Even if you believe that Zach Wilson can develop into something in a couple of years, which I still have, there's a small sliver of hope that I, I do think that, maybe it's not hope, maybe it's fear, that he will develop elsewhere and we'll see him in 2026 or 2027 as a starting quarterback. But clearly, did not work out here in New York and he'll be traded. So that would add about another five, 5.4 million. So maybe we'll see the jets about 40 million uh, to play with outside of the JFM trade. Is there any other trades you could see the, the tag and trade Huff seems unlikely, maybe a, a complete wild card. Um, I don't think they'll do this, but just trying to look through the roster, like who could they maybe trade that would fetch some value, especially if the jets are trying to recoup that second round pick. This is going to be unpopular. I don't think this happens, but maybe a guy like DJ Reed. Yeah, I, I think the only trade I could see outside of Zach Wilson is the John Franklin Myers possibility. Like you said, if the Jets want to open up, you know, the edge room and make some more cap space for Bryce Huff while also kind of unclogging that logjam of edge rushers that they would have by bringing Huff back, I could see that. But uh, DJ Reed is a good. You know, if you want to talk about something that is a 1% chance of happening, like a outside-the-box possibility to bring up, but I don't see it happening. Um, and in terms of trading for 
players. I mean, there are some receiver options out there besides the obvious Devontae Adams. I could see something like Cortland, Cortland Sutton from the Broncos. Um, and maybe there's an offensive lineman out there that they're looking at. I don't have a specific one in mind. I haven't really seen or heard any specific rumors of guys who could be available that they could look at. But um, I mean, there's the only one that I could sort of think of is, you know, I just meant, mentioned Sutton, but the Broncos are a team that could be uh, having somewhat of a fire sale to, to clear some cap space. Cause they're in a rough cap situation with Russell Wilson and everything. But Garrett Bowles is a guy that I've seen from the Broncos. I don't think so because he is a really good player and it'd probably take a lot to get him, but Maybe there is an offensive tackle out there that they have their eyes on. Douglas has traded for offensive linemen before, not not to the level of a really good starter, but you know Alex Lewis, LDT a couple years ago. So he's made some offensive line trades. Um, we'll see if you know he's got something cooking right now. Uh, maybe because the free agent market, and we'll get into it, but it's not super strong for offensive linemen, and it rarely is because we know how hard they are to find. So when a team does find a good offensive lineman they're uh, they get extended pretty often. So it's not a very strong free agent market. So maybe there is a trade out there. They have their eyes on. Yeah. I mean the JFM trade, if they do it, I think Jermaine Johnson could handle a lot of his, his roles. You also have a guy like Michael Clemens waiting in the wings. Not, not to say that he would be able to get close to replicating JFM, but I do think that JJ could do that. And then you have Will McDonald starting the other side or Bryce Huff even. Um, that is something to keep an eye out on, but I agree. I, I definitely see them trading for a player that we're not talking about because it happens every year, even if it's just some a backup guy or, or somebody that nobody's really talking about. I don't see them trading for the top of the, the line guys at receiver. Like I know, I know people have been talking about like Iuke and you know, if there was even the, the stuff about Justin Jefferson today Cortland Sutton, maybe because of the, the the crossover. Which was completely baseless, by the way. It was just a bunch of aggregator yeah. accounts <laughs> making things up with no source. And everyone thought it was real just based on that. But you click on the handle that they cited and some guy who hasn't posted in two years. And then you look at the website that they cited. No articles about the NFL or the Vikings in weeks. But, you know, Dov Kleiman <laughs> can tweet it and he's an official source. Or ML football. This is official news in 2024 because they have a bought and paid hey. for check mark. But uh, but yeah, that, that's how the news works today, which, yeah. which I have paid <laughs> yeah, for. Me so too. I can't say um, the only way I see them. I actually do still have the subscription. I just have my check mark oh, yeah. hidden. <laughs> so kind of shameless. Uh, the, but, uh, nonetheless, the, uh, aggregators making wait, up. Why, why would you like pay it. for it and then have the check mark hidden? Trying to be humble? Is that what this is about? Or is this is this because you changed yeah, the profile yeah. picture? And I mean, I didn't do it on purpose. I just did it at first because of the whole thing where I changed my Patriots logo. I was trying to, I thought maybe if I took it off, it would let me change it or something. And then I just never changed it back. So wow. that's how that Man happened. The people. But at least you get your $3 uh, Twitter checks every month. Yeah. Um, the only way I see them making a trade yeah. for a player is if it's not a player that they have to trade assets for and then give them a new contract. That's why I don't see them in the market for a guy like Ayuk or Justin Jefferson or any of the other uh, of those pipe dreams. They're just not in, in in the position to trade assets and then give out a brand new extension to a guy. You know, the type of trade that I see them making is is like a guy for Chuck Clark who was on the last year of his deal, who was on a reasonable contract. That's the only type of trade that I that I could see them doing, but I don't see them trading for anybody and then giving them a big contract on top of it. 
So, Michael, that takes us to free agency two weeks from from today. Although it, it, a lot of people say it kind of starts this week in, in Indianapolis, the scouting combine. That's when agents and GMs start to get together and talking through, and that's really when the plans start to come together. Um, you've been doing a lot of work, a lot of great work at Jets X Factor, writing about different offensive line combinations, different free agents. Um, we'll just start with the offensive line, but obviously we'll get to receiver and some of the other needs as well. Um, take us through your plan, Michael. Um, what do you think the Jets need to do to, to fix this offensive line? Before we get into specific players, what do we think? I mean, before we get to the draft, because it seems like the Jets at the very least are going to take a tackle at 10. Who You never know. No, we're going to avoid the, the shopping list trope this, this year, but it seems like they'll probably take a tackle at 10. But I would make the argument that you probably want to sign two tackles in free agency and an interior guy. So it's three offensive linemen in free agency, bare minimum. That's not including some of the backup guys like Wes Schweitzer that they signed last year, who, who's on the books for this year as well. Um, what do you, how do you kind of see the Jets um, divvying up assets in free agency towards the offensive line? Well, yeah, I mean, I've gone through a lot of different uh, potential combinations that they could go for with the offensive line. And, and as always, it depends on how the market plays out. It's not like you're playing fantasy football here or, you know, playing the Jets X Factor offseason simulator where you could just pick whoever you want, which actually you can, which is a credit to the simulator because free agents will sign with other teams. You can't just pick who you want. So some realism there with our simulator. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Always is there, is there on... a Keith Carter, Nathaniel Hackett tax on the on the simulator? Because that might be a <laughs> there, problem. There should be. It'll say something like Tyron Smith hates Keith Carter's guts. It <laughs> doesn't want to be worked to as a veteran. The Dallas Cowboys. You should be yeah. able to fire the coaches and you could hire someone who based on their likability and things like that to improve your odds of signing free agents next year. We're going to get that in there, but, but yeah, like it, it depends on how it plays out, but that brings me to a possibility that I've been really digging into the past few days. And I wrote an article on it recently and it was kind of sparked by the discussion I was having with you and you brought it up, but um, moving Joe Tipman to guard, I think being open to that, I'm not saying tomorrow you tell him he's a right guard and he's never playing center again, but at least being open to that, I think allows the Jets to consider every possibility because you already have Elijah Bear Tucker who has tackle guard flexibility. And that's its own discussion that we've, you know, already talked about plenty of times and we'll continue to, um, you have him, and so if Joe Tidman and you, you have him and you're open to playing him at either interior spot, now you can consider everyone on the market versus, you know, if you pencil in Tidman at center and say, he's our center, we're not considering those guys, then that's a whole position you're taking off the board. And you look at the free agent market, and there are some good centers out there who you could sign to fill that spot, and it just gives you more to, to play with in terms of trying to build potential combinations. It really lets you pick from what you can get on the free agent market, go down your board, make your offers, get the best players you can sign and just put the best group of five players together. So um, with Tim and moving to guard, you look at the way he played in those first, uh, he made four starts at right guard at the start of last season. I really liked the way he played. The numbers were great in both pass protection and run blocking and the film backs it up. I put out a reel on Twitter a couple days ago and there were a lot of very good plays uh, on his film when he's playing right guard. And he had that at center too, but the overall production wasn't quite as good. He had a lot of penalties at center. 
snapping was inconsistent, which is an issue he wouldn't have to deal with that guard. And the pass blocking, run blocking was a little bit lower. So I feel like a guard is potential to be at least as good, if not better. And it's a more valuable position, getting more one-on-one pass blocking reps, especially against, you know, star defensive tackles. So if you think Joe Tipman is that talented, which I think we all agree he is, I would like to see him at guard where his, his value can be maximized. Like, let's put him against the Chris Joneses and Aaron Donalds of the world versus at center where he still has a great impact. We know how important center is. You're just not going one-on-one with the stars as much yeah. when you're a center. So that's why they get paid less. You know, the top 15 centers as of right now only average about eight and a half million per year guards. It's 14 and a half. And I think the reason for that is because of what I just mentioned, I think guards have more value or are perceived to have more value because those are the guys who have to shut down Quinn and Williams versus centers are more helping right. out, picking up blitzes, setting protections. Still important. Yeah. By all and how means, many protections but... is Joe Tippman really going to be setting with Aaron Rodgers behind him? Right. Exactly. And there's that too. When you have, especially in this current situation, you have a veteran quarterback who's going to really take control of that anyway. I want my talent, most talented offensive lineman, which I think Tippman is right up there with ABT, to be out there at guard, you know, going toe to toe with the stars on the other defensive line. So, I like Tipman at guard, and if you stay open to that, you add the possibility of signing centers. You allow yourself to do whatever it takes to make this offensive line good. So I, th- I think as long as they are open to that possibility, then there's a, a sea of options for them to consider as they go into free agency. Do you feel the same way about AVT at tackle, who has arguably had better tape at tackle, but he's back-to-back season-ending injuries, and maybe those, especially the Achilles, would have happened inside a guard as well but it is one of those things where it's like you put him out at right tackle back-to-back years coincidentally in denver and he goes out for the year but you look at the tape of avt at tackle and the jets really get to use him as as a real weapon and then you factor in the fact that there aren't that many tackles available in free agency that i mean that there, there are some and we'll get to them yeah but the talent pool on the interior is a lot deeper do you take one of your best offensive linemen in avt and say you know what avt we're going to lock you in at right tackle or left tackle, whatever they feel um permanently or do you say you know what the injuries your your build we'll be able to draft a tackle we'll be able to fill it in free agency let's just keep you inside where we think you're, you're built to play well i've said on here plenty of times and in articles that i am pro guard for avt i think i like him slightly better there and i also think there's the you know the aspect of he's had two major injuries at right tackle can that affect his conscience when he's there? It's just a mental aspect. So I, I lean towards putting him at guard, but I think the same thing I said with Tidman applies here to where it, just being open to that possibility allows you to consider more when you're building the offensive line this offseason versus you know pigeonholing a guy. If you say he's only a guard, we don't want to put him at tackle, then you limit your options more. And you know by doing that, you know in this specific situation, you're forcing yourself to require the addition of at least one new starting tackle uh, through the veteran market, assuming they get one, they draft one in the first round, which you can't assume, but just for the sake of this, we, we say they will. If you say AVT is a guard, then you have to get someone. And you look at the tackle market and free agency, it's not great. If you don't get Tyron Smith, who's your solution? You know, there's uh, Mike Owenu from the Patriots, 
Also, I looked up that pronunciation recently. It's Owenu. <laughs> it's not Anwenu, Anwenu. The N is silent. It's, it's Owenu. There I'll you go. To be reminded a few more um, times. So there's him and there's Trent Brown, but like, yeah, I mean, you have you have it listed here on the doc because there's yeah. one guy missing that I think is the most the most likely addition, but he hasn't been released yet from the Packers. And that's David Bakhtiari, who has had quite the injury history the last few years, which is going to be a major red flag to Jets fans. He's also been very vocal about being against turf, and it doesn't. We'll see if there's any announcement on MetLife, but it doesn't seem like the Jets are, are changing their field surface, or at the very least, that hasn't been announced. He also has been pretty vocal about being against uh, some of the big taxes here in New York. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. But he is one of Rogers' best friends. He should hit the open market. The Jets have a need. You know, Rogers would trust him to protect his blind side for as many games as, as he's able to, to to get out of him. And the fact that he's going to be paid twenty million from the Packers this year, whether or not he's he's in Lambeau. Maybe they're able to get him on a cheap deal. That coupled with with his injury history, they could probably get a, a guy like Bakhtiari, who, you know, if he was healthy, would be the best tackle available on a pretty good deal. He's not listed here, so maybe what are your thoughts on Bakhtiari? And then run through your list here because you haven't broken down into tiers um, after all the uh, after all the work you've done. Um, so, what do you think about Bakhtiari? And then I guess run through some of the, the different tackle options the Jets have. Well, sure. I mean, I'll get I'll get into him in a second, but to quickly go through some of the other guys. I mean, like I said with AVT, I think even though I prefer him at guard, the reason I'm at least staying open to tackle is because I don't want the. If I were the Jets, I wouldn't want to have to be stuck with picking from this market because you miss on one or two guys, now you're kind of out of options. So I would like to be able to fall back on AVT. So Tyron Smith is obviously at the top. He's a guy who still the way he played this past season is maybe the best pass blocking tackle in the NFL. It's just, he's pretty much guaranteed to miss at least three games, <laughs> eight straight seasons. He's missed at least three games. So the jets, we can probably him, bump that to six. Yeah, could at least double that. So it's a, with the thing that makes me okay with him is the fact that he doesn't really have serious injuries. It's just nagging injuries. He's oh, been healthy for the playoffs. Every single time the Cowboys have been there in his career. So he's usually there at the end of the season. It's just that you know he's going to miss games. It would be surprising if he doesn't. And that's really rough for the Jets. But he's so good that I think it's worth it. Because despite it all, he was still dominant for them this past season. So I would still be in on Smith if you could get him for a, you know, it'll be a lot per season, but not a lot of guarantees short term. I'd be in for that. Then beyond him, I mean, Trent Brown and Owenu from the Patriots are both productive players with good numbers, but much different scheme over there. They get the ball out really quickly. That kind of inflates pass blocking numbers. Hopefully, and they're also hopefully that'll be the case. run scheme. <laughs> yeah, which hopefully is, you know, and that's as important as the O-line is. I think you hope with the healthy Rodgers that he negates the importance of it a little bit because he's getting the ball out quickly. He protects himself. I think that's one <laughs> yeah. of the biggest advantages of him. Outside but of the four Obviously, play we saw four season. plays, <laughs> yeah. and that didn't happen. He holds the ball too long and blows out his Achilles. So hopefully he can do that better <laughs> over the course of a full season. But, um, yeah, so those two guys are pretty good, but not really scheme fits to me. So I, I would be curious to see if the Jets went after them. Then beyond that, it, there's a huge drop-off. I mean, George Fan is probably the best outside kind of, of them. Kind of the pod. And, and, and he's – and he's still a uh, he had a bounce back season. Really, with the Jets, he just had the injury prone 2022, where he's 
playing through injuries the whole season, and that for some reason, like, I, I'm, I was just surprised that teams knocked him for that so much because in 2021 he was really good, but then he had the injury prone season, settles in Houston, but he bounced back and had a good year in pass protection. So I think First he's time. still starter worthy. Um, if he wants to come back to the Jets, I kind of remember it was a, a weird ending for him with the Jets in terms of the injuries and, you know, them not really exploring bringing him back. So if he were, were willing to come back, I think he's a starter level guy, but that brings you to Bakhtiari, who I think if you sign him, you just have to assume that he's going to play zero games for you. He's not a guy you bring in and say, this is our left tackle. He's a guy who's there. He's in the room. And if he's healthy, then you can go ahead and play him. But you have to have another starter in there, not a good backup. You have to have a starting tackle in addition to him because he played three quarters of the first game last year and missed the rest of the season. He played 11 games the season before that. And he played, I think, two games the season before that. So two of the pretty much two of the past three seasons, he missed the whole year. And then about a third of the season in between that. So he's had five knee surgeries in the past three years. He's as risky as it, as it can be in terms of injuries. But with that being said, when he was healthy, he's as good as it gets in terms of pass protection with offensive linemen. And the thing about that is he hasn't, really fallen off the one game he played this year granted it was one game but that's the bears that's after i think against the bears but i think he had four surgeries by that point he was dominant in that game when he played in 2022 he was still dominant so it hasn't shown to decline his performance yet it's just that he never plays so you know if he does finally have a healthy season you could still feel pretty confident that he's going to be really good even if he does take a step back from where he usually is you're going from probably number one in terms of pass blocking left tackles say he drops 10 spots he's still top 12 above average so if he if he's cheap and you can ensure we have another starter who can play when he has another knee injury before the first game i'm not opposed to bringing him in you just can't sign him and say this is our starting left tackle, and here's a decent backup with him. Because you got to assume whoever that other guy is is going to play the whole year. Um, so, so that's how I see Bakhtiari. But yeah, the tackle market is is pretty thin. So that's why I would stay open to playing AVT at tackle. If you sign Bakhtiari, who are some of the guys you'd be okay with pairing him uh, with? Because obviously you're not going to sign Bakhtiari and Tyron Smith. So it's going to be Bakhtiari yeah. and then... Maybe a guy like Fant, although maybe Fant prizes himself out of that range. I could see Fant getting a similar contract to the one he signed with the Jets in, in 2020. That three years, $30 million, or three years, 27, I think it was. Um, I think Fant is probably going to get something like that again. Bakhtiari, who knows what he gets? But I, I, maybe he's able to get a discount with with Rodgers and, and the contract in Green Bay. Maybe he's $5 million or something like that. But who's who's part of that second wave that you would be okay with? Um, as the inevitable starter that never places him at some point in the season. Yeah, I think Fant is in there, but we'll see what he ends up getting. Um, I mean, I don't think he'll be too expensive because he was good, but at least based on the numbers that I've seen, it does he wasn't outstanding, and he already right. didn't make too much last year. So I think he could be in their price range to pair with Bakhtiari. 
Um, Jermaine Illuminar is an interesting guy. I mean, he had he actually had very good numbers, and I thought his film was pretty decent. He's just interesting to me because he's like a career backup. He's 29 years old. Didn't make a lot of money in free agency last year. So I'm like, you know, is, is there something we're missing there? Maybe he's not that great. But um, he's a guy I think qualifies in terms of, you know, if you're pairing him with Bakhtiari. Um, and then there's a few other guys who kind of had the draft pedigree and the experience, but aren't super productive to match sort of the name value. Um, there's Andrus Pete from the Saints, Jonah Williams from the Bengals. These are guys who um, you know, were higher draft picks and might be more well-known. And they start a lot of games, but their production is pretty average. But um, I don't think average is the worst thing in the world for this Jets offensive line. I mean, we're used to getting the worst <laughs> production in the league from multiple <laughs> spots. I mean, Becton and Tomlinson led their positions in various negative stats last year in terms of pressures, sacks, penalties, things like that. So average would be a huge upgrade. So, um, so yeah, first and something. But um, uh, So I think those are a few guys I would be okay with pairing Bakhtiari with. But uh, it's uh, you, not the greatest you, tackle mark. You have, you have one guy listed here, and he's the only guy that's openly said he wants to join the Jets, and that's Donovan Smith. You just have overrated <laughs> slash avoid Donovan Smith. Would he be a guy yeah. that you could see the Jets pairing with Bakhtiari? I think – if, Knowing the if Jets, they're getting if they're getting rid of Uzama and if they're getting rid of Uzama, Lake and Cook, why you need a new public enemy number one to shit on yeah, Twitter yeah. or X? Exactly. So, exactly. This this will be the new guy. He can fill that role. Yeah, I mean, there's the thing, like he said he wants to play at the Jets. I know he's from Long Island. Um and he, he's pretty well known. He started a lot of games. He's now got two Super Bowl rings with two uh, two different teams. So a lot of people jumped on it immediately, but I'm like, I looked at his production, pretty awful. He's one of the worst tackles this year. And even last year, coming off playing with the Bucks, where he won a Super Bowl, he only got a one-year, I think, $3 million deal with the Chiefs. So it's not like he was highly coveted. Then he comes out in the Super Bowl and gets cooked for a sack, like, immediately in the first quarter. So um, he's not good. I, I don't want him on the Jets. I'll just put it like that. And then, did we talk about Cam Robinson, an option that might be, get cut? In oh, yeah. Middle? Yeah, that, that, that's a good one to bring up. And I think, pretty sure you brought that up to me as well um, with him being a cut candidate. I'm your that's another writer. thing. There could, yeah, the, the ghost writer behind all my articles. But uh, yeah, I think there, there could be a lot of guys who make this market look better than it does right now when they get cut and cam Robinson is an interesting option because he's, I don't think he would get cut necessarily because of performance. It's just because the, the Jaguars kind of like with Bryce Huff um, with the Jets the Jaguars have two highly drafted tackles who are ready to step in and start. They have a, not the worst cap situation, but not great. And they could use some cap space and cutting cam Robinson. They could save uh, a lot of money on his contract. And they have the pieces to replace him. So he could get cut. And he's he's a guy who I think would immediately vault to right up there with Tyron Smith. Um, considering Smith's injuries close to that number one spot in terms of free agent tackles. Because he's still a very high-ranked pass blocker. And I watched some of his film. And he looked really good in pass protection. Just great length. Um, a lot of shutdown reps. And the, the film that I watched of him. 
so his run blocking is not good. So that kind of takes his, his value down. But for the Jets, it's all about pass protection and uh, keeping Aaron Rodgers clean. So I think he would immediately go to the top for me. He's been a starting left tackle for the Jaguars for a while. So uh, if, if he does get cut, he's on that list. And it's important to look out for whoever else gets cut um, and becomes available. All right, obviously we spent the, the largest chunk of this podcast on the tackles. Let's get to the interior. At the end, I guess we can go through kind of who we think they will sign if, if you want to. Um, but the interior looks a lot better than than, than, than uh, the tackles. Uh, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. The, the main guy that jumped out to you, if you play Tipman at guard, was Lloyd Cushenberry, who comes over from Denver, does have yep. the Nathaniel Hackett uh, ties, which is yet to be known if that's a positive or a negative, but there's at least <laughs> – um, some familiarity there. Um, who are some of the other guys in the interior, whether it's at center or at guard, that, that jump out to you as options? Whether or not the Jets play Tipman at, at center uh, and cut Lakin, which would leave a hole there in the interior, or if they cut Lakin, move Tipman to guard, or ABT play tackle. I mean, at the very least, it seems like they're going to sign at least one interior guy. Maybe they even sign two, depending on what they do. Um, so how do you see this interior market playing out? Let's just kind of run through uh, similar, uh, the, the tiers of, of players that are available. Well, you mentioned Cushenberry. I put out my article on him today. Uh, I've kind of embraced this as maybe my favorite slash best case scenario outcome is signing him, moving Tipman to guard. And then there are different ways you can go based on uh, what happens with the market and where you want to put AVT. After you do that, you got Cushenberry at center, Tipman at guard, and assume you get a rookie tackle, then you know you can pursue the tackle market. If that pans out well, slide AVT at left guard. There's your starting five. If the tackles don't go the way you want it to, or you can't afford them, you can put AVT at left tackle and then sign one of these free agent guards. And there's your starting five. Um, but I think all that can start with signing Cushenberry at center, and he's a really good option because you look at all the interior offensive linemen in terms of who best at their position he's right up there i mean you're talking about a 26 year old guy who's been the starter in denver since he was drafted in 2020 and he he gradually progressed he wasn't always elite so you're not talking about four years of him being great but he progressed this year he had a breakout season his pass protection was phenomenal uh his run blocking is also good so i think you're talking about a guy who's going to get one of the top contracts among centers but that's not a lot relative to other positions. I mean, he'll get probably around 12, 13 a year, which for a tackles like mid-level money for a guard, it's good, close to elite. Uh, but you can get a top-end center for that type of money, and then the Jets would still have the maneuverability to make other moves along the offensive line. So you do that, you move Tipman to guard, where I think he's at his best, and he can have the most value. Now you have a in his prime, elite pass blocking center, Tidman at guard, where you get the most out of him. And with AVT's versatility, you got multiple options to fill out the last remaining spots in your offensive line. So I really like that idea of starting out with Lloyd Cushenberry at the beginning of legal tampering, go aggressive after him. And then the, that, that being the first domino to fall really sets everything up really well. Um, they're going to guard. Guard is really deep which is why, you know, it's another reason to be open to AVT at tackles because this is an easier position to fill. 
Uh, if you look at the ranking, oh wait, wait but before we get to, linemen, before we get to guard though, is there, free, are there any other centers yeah, that you would like? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean at center, like Cushionberry is the gold standard in terms of the free agents, but there are some other decent guys who I think are similar tiers. Some of the guards we'll talk about in terms of how they rank their position, but um, you have Tyler Beadish from the Cowboys who was a I forget what round he was drafted in, but I, I remember talking about him when he was coming out, but. He's kind of like an average level starter. There's Andre James from the Raiders who he's kind of similar to Illuminar who I talked about before. He has good numbers, but you wonder about how valid and sustainable it is because uh, he, he was undrafted. He's part of a Raiders team where a lot of guys were breaking out at the same time, putting up big numbers, which is kind of sketchy. It makes you seem like a system product. And um, he, he just doesn't have the same pedigree as Cushenberry. So but he he and Beadish are like good. Uh, if the Jets want to, because what I talked about centers are cheaper than guards. You can get an average center for probably three four million. That's what they were going for last off season, and then that gives you a lot of flexibility to splurge at guard or splurge at tackle. So you could fill center with a decent guy like James or Beadish, and then get a big addition at one of the other spots. But I, I think Cushenberry's a really good player, so I would be comfortable splurging on him. But you do have that option if you want to save some money and go after the other positions of just getting a placeholder at center um, with one of those other players. Uh, there's also Connor Williams from the Dolphins, but he's coming off an ACL injury that was about, I think, midway through the season. So, and potentially could hold him out into this year. So he's he's risky, but he would be the best center. If he was, if he didn't have that, but that makes it him probably not a fit for the Jets. Uh, and, and then looking to the guards, like I said, very deep position. No, no Look love for Aaron ranking. Brewer, the, the Titan. I mean, you know the Jets love their. The only thing Titans. about him, and I did write about him in an article recently, is I, I did find a quote where he's talking about Keith Carter after um, uh, it was this season. So he was talking about after he had left the Titans. And he's comparing him to the new offensive line coach. And he said, Keith Carter's sort of a my way or a highway type of guy. And comparing to the, uh, to the new coach who was not like that. So not the greatest. It, it, it kind of <laughs> sucks right, so that the, the Jets have multiple attacks. coaches where you got to, where you got to wonder if there's a tax for having them in. Usually it's like, Oh, the, he's connected to this coach. They're probably going to want to come. They've schemed familiarity or whatever. But with Keith Carter and Nathaniel Hack, it's like, is, is that actually good? Or are they just going to be like, I'm definitely not going to that team? Which applies to Cushenberry, who played under Hackett uh, in 2022. Does, do you think Hackett's a cool guy? Because he played all the hours in the meetings? Or does he think he's a weirdo who doesn't know how to scheme? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, but guard is really deep, as I've been trying to say a couple of times. <laughs> But uh, if you look at the free agent ranking, that <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. Put up on some articles, uh, or I put in some articles. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of G's, a lot of guards, and the on the top half of this ranking, few tackles, centers sprinkled in. But looking at the guys who are above average in this ranking, the vast majority of them are guards. So if you're looking for a competent placeholder guard, lots of guys who are average to above average. A lot of them are veterans. You know, late 20s, early 30s, so they probably won't be too expensive. So guard is a really good spot to target for 
an affordable, competent starter. There, there are some really good players. Kevin Dotson, Robert Hunt, I think, are the headliners. Um, I think they might be too expensive for the Jets to afford, like splurging on a guard. Um, but I think the middle of this guard market is where they'll end up going. Kevin Zeitler, James Hurst are two of my favorite targets. 30-plus guys, they won't be super expensive. Run blocking, both of them isn't amazing, but they're both still very good pass blockers among the best for guards. So I think the Jets could get them at affordable costs and get really good pass uh, protection out of an experienced player with either Zeitler or Hurst. Um, Maybe a tier down from them, you have guys like John Runyon, Ezra Cleveland. Uh, So guard market's deep with solid options. All right, let's get to the receiver, because that's what really a lot of Jets fans are talking about. Offensive line is obviously more important, but less exciting. Uh, A big-name receiver addition is really what's going to draw this fan base in. You know, uh, we were drawn back in from the uniforms, but the average fan is going to be drawn back in with a Mike Evans addition or or a trade for for a big-name receiver. When you look at this free agent market, what jumps out to you? Um, and before you get to that, do you think the Jets go with the, the big name receiver in free agency, trying to pair him with Garrett Wilson? You have Aaron Rodgers, might as well surround him with with top level weapons. Um, do they have the, the money to be able to do that? How do you kind of see the Jets approaching the the, the receiver market? Well, I, I think we're all kind of assuming they're going to go after one of these big name stars. But I mean, something I was thinking about earlier is as a potential pathway. Could you maybe go aggressively after the offensive line and get not just one, but maybe two big signings and then kind of put receiver on the back burner and focus on maybe mid to low tier signings there, Um, you know, bypass getting the superstar and use the money that would go to him to get another offensive lineman, you know, just go full court press in the O-line and then trust, look, we have a great offensive line and Aaron Rodgers. We still have Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Tyler Conklin. Let's just compliment them with a few decent guys, and that can work. Is that a philosophy they go with? I could definitely see Probably. that. Um, but I do think, you know, it feels like they've been doing some big-name hunting since they got Aaron Rodgers. They tried to get Odell last year. Not that he was, you know, a Mike still Evans could do it. caliber guy in terms of salary, but they still could do it this year. Um but it, I do feel like they are going to try. And, you know, there was a report that they tried to get Devontae at the trade deadline. Um, if Sauce out here is openly recruiting everybody. So I, I feel like they're going to make their attempt to get Mike Evans. Um, I don't know how available T. Higgins is going to be. Um, yeah, did he just get tagged? Devontae Adams. Saying, uh, did he get tagged? Or I think they were planning to put the tag on him. Was the report? Either way, I, it doesn't seem like he's going to be readily available. And then same thing for Devontae Adams. Like the, it seems like the Raiders don't want to trade him, and, and that he was on board with the Antonio Pierce hiring. So is he even really available? So it kind of feels like Mike Evans is just the one guy, barring a trade, that you can get. In terms of trades, like can the Jets afford to give up their first round pick for one of these guys? Because think about all the offensive line discussions we just had. Pretty much all of them are assuming they're getting a tackle that first round pick to fill one of those spots. If you're not, how are you, how are you filling out five offensive line spots with good players? I don't see how you do it. So 
Uh, I don't know if they can make one of those big receiver trades. I think they're going to go after Mike Evans, which I'm 100% on board with. I know he's he's 30. I know he's a big-bodied receiver who, uh, you know, maybe that doesn't age the greatest, but he's still a great route runner. He's been so consistent throughout his entire career. Different quarterbacks, different schemes, hasn't mattered. He's always produced. I'm confident he has another two to three good years in him. So I think he would be worth it if they could get that done. But it's going to be a lot of Mike Evans suitors. I don't know if they're going to get him. So I do think they're going to end up not having as splashy of a receiver offseason as we might think. Um, I like Calvin Ridley as the fallback. Um, maybe he classifies as a star too, but uh, it'll probably be a step down from Evans in terms of cost. And I think he's a really good fit in this offense with his ability to stretch the field. I think you put that next to Garrett Wilson, it takes a lot of pressure off him, allows him to go. Uh, but if you don't get Ridley, I mean, I mean, who are some of the guys you think you would go after yeah. in this mid-tier receiver market? So there's a lot of names we listed here and you know, <laughs> a lot of different skill like sets among them. So, yeah. So, I mean, which guys are you kind of leading towards? Well, I'd agree with you. I think that they're going to go full core press on, on the offensive line. And I think receiver, it's you have a guy like Rodgers. If you're able to shore up the offensive line, you want to run a lot of 12 personnel. You have Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall. I think depth is more important at receiver. And, and you know, you have the draft as well. You have that third-round pick to maybe go attack receiver. Um, I, I don't see – I mean, I, maybe they go after Mike Evans. I know there's a lot of smoke there, but like you said, I mean – it's going to be a big contract. You're going to be committed to him for multiple years, you'd imagine, and you have a lot of contracts coming up. And he's a big guy. Big receivers don't necessarily age well, although you know I could see him giving you a 2015 Marshall-type season. Ridley would be the the my best bet if you're going to try to go for, for a top-shelf receiver. Some of the other guys we have listed here, Michael Pittman, I don't see happening. Hollywood Brown, I don't see happening. But then as you get further and further down, one of the guys that really jumps out to me, and this isn't going to be the most exciting signing, but a guy like Kendrick Bourne who – was the Pats' leading receiver and then tore his ACL. I think it was like week eight. Um, so, you know, who knows what what his avail- availability will be like. But we talked about him when he was a free agent in 2021 as a guy who came over from San Francisco, has had some success in New England. And that's the type of guy that I think could complement this offense well. It wouldn't just be Kendrick Bourne. I think if you go that route, you know, you're trying to sign two for the price of one. So maybe you're signing Kendrick Bourne and Curtis Samuel. Or you're signing Kendrick Bourne and Tyler Boyd. Somebody like that, because some of the other guys I mentioned, Boyd and Samuel, DJ Chark, Darnell Mooney, Josh Reynolds, Nick Westbrook-Akine, KJ Osborne, Noah Brown, OBJ is there. Born to me is if you're going to go bargain bin shopping at receiver and just try to say all the money's going towards O-line, we can't give any to Bryce Huff, receiver's going to get put on the back burner, but we have Aaron Rodgers. And it's the delusion that the Packers, you know, put on you know instilled in themselves the, the same philosophy of we have Aaron Rodgers we don't need to give him top flight weaponry we could just have Devontae Adams and you know they were able to make deep playoff runs they were never able to win a Super Bowl with this philosophy but I, I do believe that offensive line is just so much more important and it's like I'd be fine with them going after Tyler Boyd and Tyler Boyd and Kendrick Bourne I think that would be if you were doubling up on them I think it also gives you a little bit more injury insurance because it's like if you go in on a guy like Calvin Ridley I know he's had some injury issues, but, you know, for the most part, all these guys have, have had varying degrees of injury issues. It's just, you know, the, the nightmare scenario, which we didn't want to ever really talk about last year with Rogers going down. I think anytime I kind of mentioned it, we'd be like, oh, let's not talk about that or knock on wood or whatever. But screw voodoo. It clearly doesn't matter. If the nightmare scenario of Garrett Wilson going down happens, I feel a lot better about this Jets offense if they have multiple 
you know, B to C level guys um, to, to kind of help try to fill the void rather than going all in on one other guy. Um, because I, I just think that depth is the most important thing uh, for Rogers at wide, having those veteran options that he trusts to get open. So, uh, you know, Kendrick Bourne, another guy is interesting to me is Noah Brown who had a good season in, in Houston. There's the OBJ connection. You know, obviously he's not the OBJ of old, but he clearly wants to play with Rogers. I could see that happening. The New York return. I don't think he'd command that much money. So to me, it's like Bourne, Noah Brown, Tyler Boyd, OBJ. Those are kind of the guys that, that I've Curtis saying. Those are the kind of guys that, that I think the jets will, will be poking around at and signing at least one of them. And maybe two, I mean, maybe they double up there. Um, and it leaves, it leaves a lot of options open for, for that third round pick uh, as well, because it's a great offensive line class. And I know we're talking about full court press and for agency at offensive line, but you know, I know Joe D is going to look at all these tackles in the draft and we're not going to talk about the draft today, but it's going to be a very deep class. And you're going to be sitting in that third round. You're going to be able to, to be looking at a, at a potential starter and maybe a you know, second half of the season type of starter in the third round um, at, on the offensive line. Um, but I think it just leaves their options open with that third round pick, whether it's receiver offensive line or something, you know, uh, a wild card. Cause like we said, we're not trying to look at the draft as a shopping list. So for me, it, it's doubling up at, at receiver and avoiding kind of the big guys, which I know is, isn't as exciting. I could very well see him going after Calvin Ridley that out of all the names we've talked about as the, as the top end guys, including the trade options. That's the guy that I look at that makes the most sense because he's not returning to Jacksonville. I don't think, um, and I think they could get him for, you know, he'll be expensive, but not Mike Evans level. So I think, I think he's, if you're, if you want an exciting free agent addition, Michael, I think Calvin Ridley's your guy, but otherwise it's, it's, it's bargain bin shopping. And, and look, I really like Kendrick Bourne. I think he could be a good fit in this offense. Um, and a lot of times you see the successful free agent signings across the league are the, the bargain bin guys. And it's almost disrespectful to call these guys bargain bin uh, signings because they're all starters in their own right. But Day two, day three, free agent signings. Those are the guys that you get the most bang for your buck um, in free agency. So I think the Jets try to double up there at receiver. Who are if you had to choose one or two of those, you know, tier two, tier three, tier four guys. Who are some of the guys that jump out to you? Do you agree with me on Kendrick Bourne? Does the ACL scare you? Um, I, there's a lot of buzz about Tyler Boyd. Boyd, are you not on that train, or is there another guy that I didn't mention that 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 intrigues you? I mean, the ACL does scare me a little bit, but. If you can get good information on that, feel good about him. Um, I think it can make sense. I feel like he's always come across as like you know a good tough receiver over the middle who could who could win and make some of those catches for you in key situations, which the Jets have lacked in their complementary receivers, especially last year with a certain guy who may have come from the Packers. Um, but I mean, speaking of you know adding multiple B and C guys, like you said, I mean. With Rodgers' recent era with the Packers, he kind of established this model of just feeding Devontae Adams and not really having anything else at receiver outside of that. I mean, obviously, Lazard had decent seasons. They had some other guys, but it was the most one-receiver-centric centric offense in the league with Adams. A lot of running back checkdowns. Um, so it, it was very heliocentric around Devontae Adams. But you look at when he won his Super Bowl. Nice word. The Packers were really a receiver back in those days, in the early parts of his career. I, I mean, I just pulled up his 2010 roster. Super Bowl. Greg Jennings was their top guy, but you still had James Jones, Jordy Nelson, Donald Driver. So you, you were pretty much four deep with solid names at receiver. And Packers kind of – and obviously that he still won MVPs and they're really good. But in the playoffs, it did – 
didn't work the greatest in recent years when they just had the one good receiver. So I think there's something to be said for, you know, maybe the depth model is the way to go um, versus the star power. But, uh, but I mean, Curtis, uh, with Kendrick Bourne does scare me a little bit at the ACL. Curtis Samuels guy stands out to me. I feel like he is someone who gives you versatility with, you know, being able to run the ball, take screens, things like that, which, you know, Xavier Gibson was, decent at that i guess but they could probably improve in that area um josh reynolds is interesting there are a few guys on here but i mean there there is credence to this idea of depth versus let's get the big star yeah uh let's go through some of the the other the other needs that the jets have fairly quickly here because they're not as important obviously offensive line receiver are the biggest ones another one rb2 behind Brees hall replacing talvin cook for whatever he brought you. I think that free agency makes the most sense because look, the Jets have a limited number of draft picks. Yes, they could they could draft another guy in day three, but as you saw with Abanacanda, who you know you really like, there is still a learning curve um, for most rookie running backs. And for the price of, of running backs being so devalued, you can get a guy that's a starter level, or if Brees Hall goes down, you feel good about for for very cheap. Who are some of the guys that stand out to you at, at running back? Um, obviously, there's a, there's a few former Packers on this list um, that, that you wrote about, I think, a month ago. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think getting a veteran running back is the play for RB2. I know you can draft someone, but Jets don't have a lot of draft picks. They really need to improve the O-line depth uh, and a few other positions. So, I mean, I mean, there's space for one running back pick in there, but you try and win a Super Bowl. They don't have a direct backup to Brees right now. I don't think Izzy proved enough to earn that in his rookie season. So I, I would like the reliability. I mean, I like Dylan if he's affordable just because I think he brings a different element to Brees Hall. Dylan is a big-bodied back who's not going to hit home runs for you, but he's very consistent with chunk gain, chunk gain, four or five yards a carry very consistently without getting stuffed. So I think that's a nice change of pace, and he's good to have in power, goal line situations. Uh, So I like him. But another Packers running back I think is kind of underrated. If you're looking for someone to just save cap space, get bang for your buck, Patrick Taylor from the Packers, very low number of carries, not a well-known player. He's probably going to get a minimal contract, but he showed a lot of promise in the time when he played. Similar game to Dylan, with being able to run with power, be consistent, uh, but just doesn't have a lot of carries. But the efficiency was there in terms of broken tackles, yards after contact, things like that. So I think he can be a steal. And he has that familiarity that, um, you know, last season they signed a lot of Packers guys, so if they stay with that, he's interesting as well. Um, some of the bigger names, I don't think they're going to be in that price range of Eckler, you know, Saquon was a Jets fan. I don't see that reunion happening. Um, Tony Pollard is interesting. If uh, his price is affordable, got to be the RB1 in Dallas this year, but was not as good as he was when he was just a backup behind Zeke. So if the Jets can get a back in that role, I think he can be what they thought Dalvin Cook was going to be, which is a uh, complimentary home run hitter in that RB2 spot who comes in fresh and he's got good legs and can take the top off the defense. That's what he was doing when he was a backup. It didn't translate in a starting role. But uh, if he's affordable, Pollard as the second guy behind Brees, I mean, then you always have a home run threat. We know Brees can carry the load and still hit home runs for you despite taking all those hits. 
Uh, so to have another guy behind him who could do the same thing on a smaller volume of carries would make, you know, every time you hand the ball off, there's a chance it could go the distance. So I like Pollard if he's cheap, but both of those Packers guys, I'm, I'm actually interested in them, despite the success from last year's Packers editions. Yeah, a couple other guys, Zach Moss, who I know was a big contributor to your fantasy team. Um, Devin Singletary yeah. coming from the Texans. Another guy, J.K. Dobbins, I know coming off a lot of uh, injuries, including a torn Achilles, but he's been rehabbing with, with Aaron Rodgers um, all season. So maybe he's a guy. Maybe he's another Rodgers buddy that the Jets try to bring in. Moving on from running back, uh, we'll fly through these. But defensive tackle, in case they aren't able to sign, re-sign Quentin Jefferson, is there anybody here that, that stands out to you? Um, in this group, we know the Jets love their defensive linemen, and then we'll, we'll we have one more position, then we'll wrap up. Yeah, Javon Kinlaw's someone they could target. Salah was there when he got drafted in the first round. Just had his healthiest and best season. I think he's a good scheme fit. The athleticism, gap shooting. Uh, so if uh, they don't resign one of Jefferson or Thomas, could see him. Uh, but most likely, I think they they're going to resign both of those guys and sign like a. Very low tier fourth defensive tackle. Who would stuff the run and is a decent scheme fit? A couple guys listed here Jonathan Harris, Armin Watts, or two guys that wrote an article about to keep an eye on for that fourth spot if that's if they end up targeting free agent for that at defensive tackle. And then I think I only wrote one tight end here, but Adam Troutman, you know, the, the hacker connection is there. If the Jets do want to replace Uzama, I could yeah. see them signing a, a low level tight end. Um, for that five million that they free up with Uzama, if they want to play thirteen personnel and protect against uh, an injury against an injury to Ruckert or, or, or to Conklin, I wouldn't surprise me if they they go tight end. But the last major position that the Jets are going to sign, and this is something, and I guess we we'll close with this, Michael. But this is a topic that has been uh very popular in in Jets land the last few months is the fact that they didn't sign a QB two. Which I'll be honest, you know, you've been very critical. Um. You know, I understand why they didn't do it. You know, in hindsight, they definitely should have signed a, a backup quarterback. They didn't foresee Rodgers going down in the fourth snap of the game. But the thought process is you have limited cap. You're going all in on 2024 with Rodgers. Let's take all that cap space and put it towards winning a Super Bowl with Rodgers. Because let's be honest, if Aaron Rodgers goes down, the Jets aren't winning a Super Bowl. I don't care if you bring in a Gardner Minshew or Jacoby Brissett, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. Now, expectations might have, have changed on that. Rodgers is, is coming off that Achilles. The Jets need to just make the playoffs. But I understand the thought process of, hey, you have this guy you drafted number two overall. Let him sit behind Rodgers. They should have made the move maybe with with another guy um, and not have been forced to pivot to like Trevor Simeon in week three or week four whenever they signed him. Um, but I understand the thought process of let's not waste eight, ten million million on a backup quarterback when we can take that money and turn it into Dalvin Cook or whatever they, they ended up turning it into, um, but saving that money because it's like if Rogers goes down, the season is going down with him, which is what happened. Uh, it just happened so early on in the season that we had to be inundated with why don't the Jets have a better backup quarterback for for sixteen games? Um, but it does seem like the Jets are going to compensate for that this offseason and bring in a veteran, Woody Johnson, coming out and saying we didn't have a backup quarterback last year, which I don't really love. You know, they're just throwing Zach under the bus and, and counting on, on Aaron Rodgers to, to save everything, which might be true, but I think it's kind of an easy way to just pin everything on Zach when anybody who watched any of the film last year knows it's not it wasn't all on Zach. It was Zach uh did Zach fulfill his end of the bargain? Uh absolutely not. But he was not the only issue. 
um, on this team, but we beat that topic into it. You know, it's a, it's a dead horse at this point. So hopefully the Jets don't overcompensate and pay big money to some backup quarterback to try to send a message. But there's there's a good uh, list of, of veteran quarterbacks the Jets could bring in for under $10 million. Hopefully they can get them for like a 7 or $8 million deal. The obvious one that stands out is Ryan Tannehill because of the familiarity with Todd Downing, with Keith Carter. We know the Jets love their, their former Titans. He would be fairly cheap. He's had success in the league. He'd be a pretty high-end backup. He's went to the playoffs with the Titans. Uh, I think Tannehill is the guy that a lot of people are penciling in as, as can make a lot of sense. Although he was pretty underwhelming last year. You know, maybe he's able to, you know, you see Flacco last year with the Browns coming in and looking great. You never know with these quarterbacks, especially the older they get, the, the veteran experience does matter. So Tannehill is the guy that, that I expect. Another guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, who just got suspended for the first two games of the season. He should come at a discount. He's had injury issues, but he does have the experience with Sala. Has been, you know, he's been better than Tannehill, honestly, the last couple of years. Um, you know, obviously things in Vegas didn't necessarily work out, but he's a guy that has had his own injury issues, but you could probably get very cheap. Barring Rodgers going down in the first two weeks, You'd have him uh, the rest of the season. I think he's another guy that stands out to me. Uh, and then obviously the, the one, and I'll let you jump off here, but Jacoby Brissett is the guy that I think a lot of people talk about as as uh, looking fairly impressive at times this season with Washington and, and could be in that upper echelon of, of backup quarterbacks, although the question is how much is he going to command compared to a Tannehill or compared to a Garoppolo. But I know you like Brissett, uh, so you could talk about him and then who are some of the other guys that you think the Jets will, will, will look at to, to fill that QB2 role. Yeah, Brissett is definitely my favorite. I think he is the prototype backup quarterback to me. He's a guy who's never going to be a starting quarterback because his ceiling is just, you know, it's established. He doesn't have a high ceiling. Uh, He got to start a few seasons because of injuries. And he, you know, he showed you he's never going to be a guy who, you know, adds a lot to your offense with big time arm talent or anything like that. But he showed for many years that he could keep interceptions really low. It's just that he, you know, he did it while just constantly checking the ball down. But I feel like the last couple seasons, especially with the Browns last year when he played a lot in 2022, like he was an average-ish kind of starter with the Browns last year. He was better than a lot of starting quarterbacks that teams are invested in. And he started to unlock his game a little bit. I mean, remember that game he played against the Jets where they came back, or the Jets came yeah. back and won. I mean, Brissett was really good in that game. I think he completed around 80% of his passes, something like that. He was slinging the rock all over the field. Um, he's a, he, I really like him as a backup quarterback. He's a game manager at heart. He'll protect the ball, and you like that backup quarterback. But recent years, and he came in for Washington this year, down 20 against the Jets, put him in the lead within uh, like 15 minutes of game time, uh, and making big-time throws to lead the comeback. He's a guy who I really like as a high-end backup quarterback. Um, but there, there are a few other good options here. Garoppolo and Tannehill, I think, are both good ones. Um, in, in terms of Tannehill, he, he was really bad last year. He got benched for Will Levis. But, you know, when you're talking about a guy who's been a longtime starter, was a solid starter, does have some familiarity with your coaches, I don't think it's necessarily guaranteed he's going to continue being as terrible as he was last year. Like you mentioned, Flacco who just came out of nowhere. And had a, you know, I think he's a little overrated. I don't think he should have won comeback player of the year, but you know, he's decent enough for them to win some games at the end of the year. Um, so, you know, to get a guy who's that experienced, like a Tan Hill or Garoppolo, even if they're, you know, not the greatest, I'd, 
I think that's a decent option. Minshew, I think if I, mean, I know you told me you think he could be a a starter for some team out there who might yeah. need stopgap or something, but if he is still in that backup market and not a ridiculous price, I think he's in that Brissett sort of range. Um, I think Tyrod would be good, similar to Brissett. I think he's like a, a game manager at heart who protects the ball, but can sometimes make a big time throw. So, I, I mean, there are there are a lot of options here, and I think at the end of the day, when you're talking about a backup, you got to remember the standards. There's a reason these guys are backups. No one's going to blow you away as a backup quarterback. But you just want someone who who has experience, has shown you they could, I think, first and foremost, protect the football, which is why I like Brissett, Tyrod, I think both those guys you get that with. And um, just come in and give your team a chance to win the game as, as best as you can. I think there are a good number of guys here who can get that done. All right, Michael. I think I think we've covered it all. Obviously, the Jets will sign some guys that we didn't talk about. Maybe we should have dove more into the. T- Is there anybody in the tight end market? I glossed right through with Adam Troutman. I do think that they will probably sign another tight end unless they're really banking on Coots and, and Yaboa. Just because we know how big the, the twelve and thirteen personnel was going to be part of their offense. I mean, Kaseki's available. Hunter Henry, Gerald Everett. Uh, there's a few at Dalton Schultz. Is there anybody else in that that group that stands out to you? Um, I don't know. I just figured maybe just circle back because I do think they'll add one. I also got to look into it more. I haven't even even really thought about the tight ends, but uh, it, it is an yeah, underrated <laughs> thing that is probably worth looking into. Um. All right. I guess we'll get out of here. Uh, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. Michael, Michael underscore Nanny, and myself, Ben W. Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com. Best place to go for Jets content. Make sure you check out the other JetX pods. Uh, check out the Jets X Factor offseason simulator. That's always a fun way to pass the time uh subscribe to the jets x factor youtube subscribe to our itunes that helps out the pot a ton if you uh subscribe rate review what all all that good stuff uh, michael before we get out of here obviously we got to talk a little bit more about the uniforms it's been such a big part of this podcast um since we started it i mean what are we are we entering our fifth year of this part we started it in 2019 the first year of the uniforms um, so i think we're coming up on year five now yeah um obviously you said you know i think the gays uniforms would, would have looked better uh, if they, the Jets had had any sort of success in them, I mean, the most success they had was was the first half of, of 2022. Because outside of that, you have, you know, the hiring Adam Gase in the Darnold year. Then you have the tank for Trevor, where you're two and fourteen year. Then you have rookie Sam Darnold, worst defense in the and, year. And also, the majority of that success was in the white yes. on black. So outside of the white on black, exactly. really no other uniform has exactly. seen a run Exactly. Of will, yeah, then you have 2022 where they lose six straight games, but they did have the success in the white on black early. And then last year you have Rodgers blowing out his Achilles. Granted, that wasn't the new uniform, so hopefully that's not a bad omen. Um, but just a dreadful stretch for the, for this, this these uniforms and obvious flaws. I mean – First of which is is the logo, which is just so unimaginative and just so much worse than the 80s logo that's over your head right there. Most fans are excited to see the return of that logo. I'm curious if it's just going to be that logo by itself or if they're going to try to modernize it. Obviously, the Jets announcement featured a, a slightly updated font to that logo. Maybe that's just their typeface. Um, maybe they are going to try to update the logo just a little bit, but the a version of the 80s logo is going to return. Maybe they'll put it in the oval. Um, as their official logo, not not on the helmet, but that's what they did at midfield for the, the legacy games. That's what Woody has over in, in his office, so maybe that'll be the official logo. I have a, I, I've been DMing you outside of random for agent stuff that I'll send you, uh, just random questions about the Jets uniform. So I'm going to rattle a few off. Uh, anybody who's not interested in this this uniform talk, which, yeah. which really is for a s- 
you know, very small segment of, of fans here, but you know, it's integral to this podcast. I'm going to rattle off some questions and you just let me know what you think. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. First of which will the, what do you think the jet shade of green will be? Are they going to go back to the Kelly green? Are they going to, you know, try to match what they have on the legacy whites with, with the green that they have on that Jersey? Where are they going to try to update the, the helmet shell color? How do you see the green looking um, for, for, for the, uh, the future of the, of the New York Jets. Are they sticking with Gotham green? What do you think this looks like? I, I think it's going to be an extension of what we saw on the, the legacy uniforms. I mean, they're keeping those as they were. So they're going to try to make the green jerseys match that, you know, what you saw on the numbers and the stripes as best as possible. And I think the helmet, the helmet is, what, is what's interesting to me. I think they're going to keep that, you know, whatever you want to call that type of paint, chrome, Type I, I that's what it is, right? Chrome. chrome yeah, paint. it's like a chrome. Yeah, it's some sort of chrome. Yeah, whatever you want to call that. I think they're going to keep that style of paint, but modify it a little bit because it didn't totally match the color of the uniform. And and I like this decision. I think this is the best form of green. I think the hunter green that we had the previous uniform, little too dull. I liked it, but you know, especially if it were like a night game rainy game didn't really pop with the nike especially reebok it was great once i went to nike it was almost almost black it was didn't like that no it was like brown it then, was it didn't yeah it didn't look pretty good. much and then previous uniforms i liked it it was good but at times a little too little too bright little too picklish but this one just is perfect green it has it's bold has personality without being too dull it's not too bright I like it. So that's what I'm sort of picturing. But yeah, yeah you, ra- you raise a good point. Me, Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Should I go with my big question? Well, uh, you, you raise a good it? point just about the about the legacy okay. whites. Is I realize that the white pants is going to have to match. This is so. The white pants are going to have to match the green jersey. So the stripe on the white pants has to be the same color green. But sorry, that was the really important insight that I had to, to had to get out. So that is the green that they'll have. Uh, what was your big question? No, my mine is how the black uniforms are going to be laid out. Like, are we going to get outlines around the numbers? It's just going to be a straight up. And we've seen various edits floating around on Twitter. Most of them, yeah. most of them really well done, but just different concepts. Like we're going to get straight up white numbers, no outlines, green outline. Lot, lot is it going to be the same template? Have they said it's going to be the exact same template? I mean, the, I think the article on the website said, Green and black white versions. and black versions, which I yeah. kind of makes it seem like it's just a, a variation in black. So I don't think it'll be like anything super unique or creative. But, well, they um, on their current black yeah. uniforms, they had to make the numbers white because otherwise, if they're dark green on black, it'll be too hard to see unless you put a, some sort of outline on it. So I wouldn't be surprised if you have white numbers again and maybe a green outline, but that wouldn't be exact. Um, here's my question to you. Here's, here's the only part that maybe older Jets fans were definitely still not listening would care about <laughs> is I hope that they keep the green helmet for the black uniforms. And here's why, Michael, you, you know, you can put the black face mask on it. You can even put a black outline like the nineties, eighties logo, but that's not, the, that's not the main reason. The main reason is, is because it opens the door for the Jets to have Super Bowl three throwbacks, whether it's this year or in the future, uh, it keeps the door open because you can have four uniforms like we saw this year with the Jets, but you can only have two helmet shells. So if the Jets' black uniforms keep the green helmet, they can bring in a white alternate and have the Super Bowl three uniforms, thus creating the best Jets uniform set. Um, 
conceivable. So that's that's what I'm keeping my eye out for. I hope they keep the green the green helmet with the black. That's good forward thinking. I like that. Yes. In addition to the fact that I think green, at least on the previous uniforms, I like the green helmets with the all yes. black better than the black helmet. Anyway, but you were mentioning the logo. That that's my question. Like I think they're gonna go with the standard '80s logo as is. Yeah, but the only so. thing that makes me think they might not do that is the possibility of how much new merch you can sell just by changing it, even if it's the slightest of tweaks. Yes. Just like the last time they did a rebrand with the updated oval shape. You change it at all, that's new T-shirts, new everything that is getting shipped out by Fanatics with their see-through ton- jerseys. So, that's tr- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They'll sell a ton of '80s merch, regardless. But I, yeah, there, there's I, I fear that as well. Although, as long as it's anything close to that, even if it's just, a, I'll, I'll be on board. I'm, and just, I'm glad we're getting a, finally a little jet in there. You know, my, my dad is, you know, he doesn't love the '80s uniforms because he's, you know, he, he actually watched them in those uniforms. He's like, what are the, what's the legacy? Because the, they keep calling them the legacy yeah. uniforms. He's like, what legacy did the Jets have in these uniforms? They were terrible in them the entire time, outside of what a couple of playoff runs, a good defensive line. It's like, what legacy is that? But um, clearly the Jets' best look, though. So. Honestly, their best legacy is the the Parcells through Rex Ryan yeah. no. era at this point. I mean, seven yeah. playoff appearances, seven playoff wins. They, they had a nice era when they had those uniforms. Yeah. Nike ruined it all. Uh, it is funny, though. You, we, you and I were saying this out pretty much because if you go through, because now that I've been looking up like Jets uniforms, now my entire X algorithm is all like uniform talk. And it's funny how every fan base essentially just wants the same version of every uniform, which is they want, uh, what is it, uh, bl- yeah. block numbers and stripes. They want just classic yeah, throwback just uniforms. Block, block numbers, numbers and rectangular stripes. stripes. Yes. They the just want to be as basic as possible. Like, and then, and then NBA put fans. put out a uniform and, edit for, yeah. For the Vikings. And then NBA fans want like the throwback 90s uniforms with like, you know, big dinosaurs and throwback pistons. They want the, you know, the colorful or it's just funny how the both both leagues, their fan bases, essentially just want the same things, and that's just the throwbacks, and that's you know it's an story. Yeah, like I, I saw like recently someone put out like a Lions edit, and it was basically the exact same thing as the Jets, you know, legacy throwbacks, which is Honolulu blue, and people are like, "This is it! That is the premier Lions uniform." <laughs> just every I think NFL teams or NFL fans, we saw the digital clock bucks numbers, we yes. saw the Jaguars two tone helmet, all this. The Browns and their name on the pants, all this wacky, disgusting stuff. Which just like simplify it, make it normal. Then I think in the NBA, you kind of got this oversaturation of these alternate uniforms, and people are, and a lot of them are like these really basic designs. I mean, the Jazz uniforms just the logo and a number has no stripes at all. So those are like <laughs> over modernized. Oh, the city jerseys is like bring back horrible. the giant dinosaur. And and the pistons, yes. the pistons, of course, that bring back all those creative designs. Uh, I, I think some of those are, were a little overdone. Maybe it's nostalgia driven. Um, well, I wonder. I do wonder if those, the Jets start I, start I the wave. The design I wonder, I, of those. I really yeah. wonder if the Jets start the wave here because they're going to go back to their eighties. I see Giants fans clamoring for them to go back to their eighties. Do the Patriots go back to their their red uniforms with the Pat the Patriot? Um, I wonder if if NFL franchises wake up to the fact that fans will just buy all the throwback merch if you make it. Um, so it is fascinating. But the I'm glad Eagles the Jets fine. I don't so have to do overrated. That is the most. Yeah, I, you, I just texted you that. Like, 
The, the Cali green, especially the, the version they had this green. year. I don't like the color green. It's like a – you don't talk about like pickle green. That is not a fun shade. It's like it these tiny better. numbers with black outlines. I don't like the logo. It's like this a very old yeah, they're, eagle. They're, it's they're just like a Philly sports logo. I don't like the helmet. It's, I think those are yes. overrated. But nonetheless, look at like you look at the Eagles crowd and any game they played. There's more people with that merch, even if it wasn't a throwback game. More than that with that merch than the regular Which team stuff. So, so NFL, it, we're like five years away from every team having the same. Yeah. Uniform. Here's here's my here's my last question for you. How long until there are Jets fans clamoring for these uniforms as, as alternate throwbacks? How long? It's 10, when, like, cause how long until, the young, until they it's see when the young generation that watched these past few years is uh, in their mid twenties, like ten right. years? They'll be tweeting out Jamal Adams edits, and you know, I guess like I guess you the can have sauce uniforms with Jamal yes. Adams and I don't, James God knows Brad. what they would have to call these uniforms. Yes, but um, I, I think I think it's safe to say that these will be in the bin. Just like the uh, the Islanders, was it like the Fisherman Unis or whatever? These, the, I don't think these are coming back. They could have been good if they had won in them, and the logo is better. I don't think. The, I mean, the New York is a little garish, and the, the contrail didn't really, you know, it would get weird. But I'm glad the Jets are just going to have nice classic uniforms. The only the only criticism you could potentially have is is it is it too plain? Especially if you don't have the helmet with it, if you're just out there rocking it. But hey, I don't care. I think it looks good. All right, Michael, we got it all out. We got all the uniform talk out. That was the most important part of this entire podcast. It was really, I was just waiting for us to get through the free agent stuff just so we could talk uniforms because this is what the Jets have done to me. I don't even care about the product on the field. I just care about the fashion. Um, (laughs) All right, it's time for us to get out of here. Um, Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. We are back on the weekly schedule. Appreciate everybody for, for sticking with us. Let us know your thoughts on what you think the Jets should do in free agency. Um, and what you think about the, the uniform announcement that was a, a month old at this point, but I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about once these unis actually drop. So uh, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Football, finally back with the scouting combine. It's the, it's the, it's like the first day where you can start to be like, all right, 2024 is underway. You start to hear the rumblings. They have a little bit more credence to them. And it's not just Dov climbing and random aggregators talking about rumors that they just pulled out of nowhere. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you everybody for listening. Have a great week. Go Jets.